0: Matthew chapter 19 tells us, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, we kind of went through this whole dissertation on forgiveness, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, it says he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. So he departs from Galilee now. We read that, but uh, he is leaving Galilee now for the last time. He is headed for the cross. he's looking at Capernaum he's looking at the fishing village he's looking at the faces of people and children that he knew he's departing he won't be back to Galilee till after the resurrection and then somewhere maybe on the Arbel on one of those hills there around the Sea of Galilee he meets with them but he's leaving and he had human emotions he was totally man and totally god and sometimes i think what was it like and we just read it he felt it he thought it he perceived it he was leaving galilee he was headed to the cross our savior our friend our brother our lord and he heads down on the other side of the Jordan, Perea, it's called, from the word that means to be separate, or on the other side, and they called it that. It's the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. He kind of ruled from southern Galilee all the way down to Machaerus, the fortress there, where John the Baptist had been beheaded, which is right across on the other side of the Dead Sea in this jurisdiction, this area, they would come down to avoid Samaria, then cross over the Jordan River and head up to Jerusalem from the area of Jericho. So he's coming down there, and it says in verse 2, the great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Now it tells the next verse, the Pharisees are there. It's such an interesting picture, because he comes down The crowds, of course, know about him. He had fed the multitudes. There were so many things that had happened. And they're so aware of him. And there's an anticipation about Messiah. They have all the picture wrong, of course. And the multitudes are following them. And look, in the face of his critics, the Pharisees are there. And in the face of those who would kill him, they're already trying to figure out how they can kill him. They already want to shut him up. And in the face of all of that, he's reaching out his hands and he's healing people and he's touching them. We're living in a time where they want to shut us up. They want to kill us. I read this article, you know, if we're conservative, if we we believe anything different, they want to take away our kids and put them in relearning camps. I'm just thinking, you know, this is not our home. This is not our home. This is not our world. We're passing through. We're making a pilgrimage And even though we're on the other side of the Jordan and they're on, you know, let's do our healing. Let's bring that while we can, even in the face of our critics and the threats of the world around us. We have the only answer. We have the only vaccination that matters. You know, every other vaccination is temporary. We have the one that saves eternally. And I think so important for the church to be alive now. And I don't know how to do that or make that happen. You know, I'm in my own life spending time before him and saying, Lord, let me be in my home and in my marriage and with my children and my grandkids, with the church, a healing factor right in the face of all of my critics. Right in the face of all the hostility, Lord, you're still the one. So it says the Pharisees then also came to him tempting him, testing him, saying unto him, Now, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? I'll read down. And he answered, and he said unto them, I love it what he does is, have ye not read? Now, that's what they pride themselves in. He, and I think Matthew really liked that. That's why he always records it. Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason, this cause, shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So, he answers them, is it lawful for a man to put his a wife his way for every cause? Now look, it wasn't at all a debate amongst the Jews whether it was lawful to divorce. That was a foregone conclusion. What they're asking about is the cause. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Um, it was a current debate because some of the religious leaders followed a rabbi Shammai, who said the only cause to put away your wife is sexual immorality. It's infidelity. The Romans had taken the right away to stone for stoning, so divorcing the wife. Hillel said, No, you can you can uh, divorce your wife for any reason. Uh, if she burns dinner, literally that's written. If she burns dinner, you can get rid of her. You know, not the 5,000th time, the first time. If she says anything about your parents that's negative, embarrasses you, you get rid of her. So some of the Pharisees had had 20 wives, 18 wives. And, and what they had do, done is they had taken... From the book of Deuteronomy, it says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, that's not defined, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it into her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, some gal, and write her a bill of divorcement and give it into her hand and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again, to be his wife after that she, that she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. Thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, for an inheritance. So the debate wasn't amongst the Jewish males whether they could divorce the wife. The debate was the cause. Because Deuteronomy said if you found some uncleanness in her, now, so the debate was, well, that can't be a adultery because if you call your wife in adultery, you didn't need a lawyer, you needed a pile of stones. So those, you know, what, what do you mean uncleanness? Give her a bill of divorcement. You know, if you caught her in adultery, you just, you know, you just wrote mud on it. That's your, that's your name and you're gone, you know? In fact, when they caught a couple in adultery, they would take them to the middle of the village or the town, and they would put them in manure up to their waist and then stone them and they would die and sink below that manure and they would plant a tree in the middle of it in the middle of the town square and when you went through the town square there was always this big beautiful happy looking tree right in the middle telling everybody don't you do what we did don't make the same mistake we did you know there there are countries in the world and Muslim countries where they still, if they catch you, steal and they cut your hand off. And people walking around the street with one hand are preaching a sermon. Well, you saw this trees in the middle of your village. You realize, don't want to end up there. Don't want to end up there. So the debate wasn't sh- can you divorce your wife what's the cause for what reason can you divorce your wife so they put jesus on the spot and they think in the middle of this debate and ask him what's lawful how can this happen what's the right way for this to happen and can it happen for any cause and he answers and said unto them he 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 trumps them and goes beyond Moses back to the Garden of Eden. He says, have you not read that he which made them, Mark clearly says he which created them. There's no evolutionist in this story. Have you not read that he which made them, and please take note of this at the beginning." It was not millions of years before human beings evolved from pond scum and monkeys. It says right here God made them male and female from the very beginning. From the beginning. And he uses sexual words, he made them male and female from the beginning doesn't just say man and woman, he actually uses the word that described them sexually. God made them male and female from the very beginning. His work, what he did. And said, God Almighty said, for this reason, for this cause, shall a man leave father and mother shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, the two of them, shall be one flesh. The way it says it in Genesis is that that Adam said when God brought Eve to him, says the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, he slept, he took one of his ribs, the idea something from his side, Closed up the flesh is said thereof, and with the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her under the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and the same thing about flesh and blood here. And she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. X she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife their severance, necessary, leaving mother and father. Listen, this is this is not something that Adam and Eve did. Adam did not leave his father and his mother. This is quoted four times in the New Testament. There's a principle here. Eve didn't leave father and mother. But, he, but God says, for this cause. What's the cause? It says in verse 18, it says, and God's. You know, saw that it was not good for man to be alone. The first time in the Bible something's not good. Every day of creation, God saw that it was good. The first time he sees something's not good, it's not good for man to be alone. So you married guys here, uh, you may have thought that you, you know, were attractive or you were a good catch or something. God just looked at you and said... Ain't good for this one to be alone. You know, so he, <laughs> he needs a helper, is what it says. So he makes a helper for him. And then the, the way he did that, he said he caused him to sleep and he takes something from him. She was made of the same DNA, the same chromosomes, the same genome, the same... That's why in marriage it has to be male and female because the twain become one again. There's a unity, a reunion of what God took out of man. That can't happen with two men or two women. You can call that a civil union. Our government is a civil government. But in God's kingdom, the only way for marriage to be realized, biblical marriage, is for a woman to be joined back to a man because she was taken out of man. So it says, it says, for this reason shall a man leave mother and father, their severance. Now look, it doesn't mean you have to move to Mars. Some of you maybe wish you had moved to Mars to get away from in-laws, but there's a great book called In-Laws or Outlaws. Um, the, The young man in this culture would build an addition on his father's house. And on their wedding, after their period of espousal, they would come and live there. So it wasn't a geographical distancing. The leaving, the severance, was for that man to look at that woman and say, you are now the most important relationship in my life. More than my parents, more than children, more than you, you now, are the single most important relationship I have. Therefore shall man leave mother father, and he shall cleave. God said to Israel, None of the diseases that cleave to the Egyptians shall cleave to thee. Talks us about Job. It said his tongue clave to the roof of his mouth it means to stick, to be glued. You know, and that's every husband and wife need that to stick together. They're not sticking together in the world we live in anymore. It is important that they stick together. And then the one flesh, the intimacy, certainly he's talking about that here. He made them male and female. So in in sexual intimacy, there's part of that is what makes them one again, where the woman and the man are joined together again. That takes a male and a female, what the Lord says here, he said, He which made them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, the two of them, then again become one flesh, he says. Uh, and there's no provision in paradise for Adam to put Eve away. But th- that comes after the fall because men are sinful. In paradise, and the only thing we have from paradise, besides Jerry, the only thing we have from paradise is, is marriage. Marriage is marriage. The, the only thing we have from the other side. I know some of you think it came from the other side. No, the only thing we have from the other side is marriage. That institution has been handed down to us and has come from the other side. Interesting. He says, he says here, cleave to his wife, they shall be one flesh. He says, wherefore, because of this, they are no more twain, but one. There's the rejoining of what God separated in the beginning. What therefore God hath joined together... Let no man put asunder. Look, it's very important here, if you look at this, uh, it says what God hath joined together. It doesn't say who. Certainly there's a who involved, there's a husband and a wife, but there's a what involved of male and female, of God's original intention as he took the woman out of man. What God has joined together. No man put that asunder, he he, he says here. And then they said to him, now here's the, 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 the Pharisees again. Well, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered permitted allowed you to put away your wives but from the beginning it was not so now that's true today by the way he he says he says here moses didn't command you to divorce your wife he permitted you to divorce your wife the commandment was that you had to give her a bill of divorcement, because th- there was no welfare system, there was no, you know, nothing to protect her. If she went out and she didn't have a piece of paper that said, "My husband, you know, put me away. I'm free to remarry." However, that was written out, that she was gone. She was lost. Nobody else would take her in. Nobody would marry her again. She was gone. And God said, you know, because of the hardness of your hearts. Look, the, pro- you know what the problem is in my marriage. She's coming along, but you know, no, the, the problem in marriage is the hardness of my heart. It's the hardness of my heart. And in that, there's only one problem, and it's a lordship problem. And he, God says, because of that, look, we have the Spirit, we have the Word, so. We 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 go through seasons. Louis Neely always, always says, "I've been married to three women, all in the same body, but I've been married to three different women." You know, yeah, the, the, We go through seasons of kids and them getting married, grandkids, aging, your bodies. Why we go through, and in all the processes, there's spiritual lessons to be learned that you can't learn any other way. You know, you think entering into marriage, you know, the husband's supposed to lay down his life for his wife, like Christ laid down his life for the church. The wife is supposed to submit to the husband as the church does to Christ. Well, you can knock that out in a day. <laughs> you know, you, you look at what God asked in marriage, and because there's fallen natures, it's a, it's a lifelong, it's like our walk with Jesus, it's a lifelong process. You know, it, it says this in the book of Malachi, interesting, it says, God says, yet you say, wherefore, you know, why does God hate divorce? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and thy wife, the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. And yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. We've lost idea of what covenant is in our culture. And did not he make one? The idea is out of the two, and yet had he the residue of the, he had the excellency of the spirit. There's something spiritual about making the two one. And wherefore one? Why did he make them one? That he might seek a godly seed. One of the things that God wants out of a healthy marriage is godly children. You you have to have a male and a female. To, to be the marriage that God wants to produce a godly seed. He says here, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherous, treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel saith that he hateth the putting away. So the religious leader said, oh yeah, well, we can't divorce them. Why did Moses command us to divorce our wife? And he says, no, no, Moses allowed you he didn't command you what he commanded you was the right to bill of divorcement he didn't he didn't command you to <laughs> divorce your wives he permitted that because you're so stubborn and hard-hearted what he commanded was you don't you if this happens there has to be some protection look in that culture back then women were abused in, on every front let I me mean, David when he fell in the sin with Bathsheba had nine wives Solomon had 700 imagine 700 mother-in-laws Just think of the way that culture was. You know, before the law, Jacob's got two wives and two concubines. Think think about, you know, and God's trying to sort all of this out because of our sinful natures. And now if it was this way in creation, go before the law. Have you not read this is what God did in the first creation? It's what he wants in the second creation as well. You and I, we've experienced regeneration, the rebirth. We've been born again. And in the first creation before the law of Moses, God expected a man and the woman to become one. And in the recreation now, that's what he expects for us to. It's not easy because you have two sinners involved. But the third person hasn't changed, you know he still makes the only perfect contribution to the relationship. And he he says "Dear, it was because of the hardness of your hearts Moses suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. That's not God's original intention. And I say unto you, now here's a divine law, and it doesn't matter what human laws are, and by the way, as we're going through this, Look, I want you to understand divorce is not the unpardonable sin. If you've been through that situation, God is not pushing you away or condemning you or telling you you're not his son or daughter. He's just saying, as we enter into this, this is his ideal, this is what he wants. And I think we're warned in regards to a culture that makes it so easy. He's saying no. You, it, it wasn't just about getting rid of her, is it? You know, it was because our our hearts are hard. That's why that happens. In, in America, still, within 10 years, half the the, the marriages that that happen in in this year will be end and in divorce within 10 years. And that takes a toll on children. It takes a toll. Well, it doesn't say if you and I fail. We end up in that situation that we're no longer Christians, that God doesn't embrace, as he doesn't call us, his children. But he's saying this is the ideal, and religious people sometimes think they can work their way around it, and that's not how the deal happens. He he says this. He says, here's the problem. You divorce your wife. God's outside of time. He's in eternity. He's timeless. He said, what I have to forbid is you divorce your wife, Hardness of your heart, it's not pleasing, wasn't my original intention. But you give her a bill of divorcement to protect her, and she realizes, and whoever she meets realizes she can be remarried. So another guy then marries her. And then he hates her, or he dies. What God forbids, the prohibition was she's not allowed to go back and remarry her first husband. Because that may take 20 years or 10 years, but before God, who's timeless, he's in eternity. I divorce my wife, 10 o'clock in the morning, quarter after 10, she goes out and sleeps with somebody else. I take her back at 1030. That was just God endorsing adultery. And he says, that's what can't happen. It can't happen that way. Can't happen that way. So. If the first husband, because hearts are hard, give a bill of divorcement, then she goes out and she marries somebody else. The law prohibited her to come back and marry her first husband again. That's why Jesus says, look, anybody who divorces his wife really commits adultery. And somebody who's divorced, it's not the sin doesn't happen when you come back to the first situation. It's sin right from the beginning is what he tries to To say, so he says here, I say unto you that whosoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, for sexual sin, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. It's not just the problem that you got rid of her and she's not allowed to come back. When you marry somebody else, you've already broken the marriage vow and he says there's a problem. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away committed adultery. And he does an interesting thing here. In verse 9, he, used, he said, except for the cause of fornication, he doesn't say adultery. And you might want to take, if you come out of a very legalistic church, you know it's very interesting because people that are very legalistic, what they try to say is that it doesn't say adultery. You divorce your wife except for the cause of adultery. It says it, except for fornication. So then what legalistic churches try to say is, well, that means you can only divorce your wife while you're engaged. Because if you could divorce your wife when you, once you were married, it would say adultery. Now, the reason it says fornication is this. Because the Jewish males in this culture thought it was fine to sleep with a prostitute. It was fine to sleep with with a concubine, a slave. It was fine to have sex outside of your Jewish marriage as long as it wasn't with another Jewish woman. Jesus said, no, here's the deal. Anybody who commits any sexual act outside of the marriage bond has broken the one fleshness. The one flesh is the phrase from Genesis or Revelation used most often about marriage he he says here except for fornication except for any is not okay for you it's not okay for you to go out and sleep with a prostitute and come back to your wife it's not okay for you to go out and and have sex with your slave or your concubine it's not that's not okay any sexual activity destroys what god intended except it be for fornication and shall marry another now look the disciples look down at verse 10 his disciples said to him, if this case of the man is if this is true with his wife, it's better not to get married. He said, if you're stricter than Moses, why should we even get involved in this, you know? <laughs> it's better not to get married at all. If this is the rules, you know. It's so funny. But you know, they stuck with it. I mean, we we know that uh You know, Paul says in Corinthians, hey, I'm an apostle. Don't I have a right to lead around a wife like Peter, John, the other apostles? So they stuck with their wives through the the whole process. Peter evidently was crucified with his wife the same day. That's sticking together. Um, They say it's better not to marry. Now, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, you guys are really screwy. He says this. He said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying. Receive is make room for, make space for. The idea he's going to say here, all men, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, brothers, I would would spare you because if you get married, then you have to care for the things of your wife. And he says, because the Lord's coming is so soon, I would spare you. If we listen to Paul, the church would have been extinct 2,000 years ago. Uh, You know, there's nowhere that says celibacy is more spiritual than marriage. Hebrews 13 says marriage is, it's undefiled, it's honorable in all things. There's a lesson in it. There's a, a wholeness in it. There are things that are learned there that aren't learned anywhere else. But the disciples are saying, well, is it, is it better than for a man to remain single? And Jesus says not all men can make room for that. And he's gonna, then he's going to talk about it. Now look, we should be glad that not all men can. There wouldn't be anybody alive on the planet. He said of them, all men cannot receive this saying except those to whom it is given. And he tells us why here. He says, look, he says there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are congenital problems they're unable to reproduce and they're never going to function in this one fleshness that he's speaking of. There are others, there are some eunuchs, which were made eunuchs of other men. In the culture, they were castrated. They went through a a situation of mutilation where then they were unable to marry and have a wife. And he says, um, There are those eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake he that is able to receive to make room for this to, to make space for this let him receive it So he's he's not saying anywhere here <coughs> that celibacy is to be preferred above relationship above marriage he doesn't say that what he's saying is because the disciples say man that sounds hard you're, you're strict there in Moses you gotta make a commitment to one woman and stick with her the whole time <coughs> you know they're thinking of the three-ring circus, the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. You know, they, they get that stuck in their mind. He says, look, there, some men are able... You know, there there are eunuchs in this world that were born that way. They're just celibate because that's a congenital deal. There are those that are celibate. They're eunuchs because they were made that way by other men. He said, but there are those... And, and they've decided they're going to live that way for the sake of the kingdom. But he says, not everybody. Everybody can't receive that. Look, we see the problem of that. Charles Spurgeon said, forced celibacy is the seedbed of sin. Forced celibacy is the seedbed of sin and we see that in the church where men are forced to be celibate it produces nothing but insanity and sin so on the heels of his teaching about marriage and god's purpose the guys raise this question he addresses it he addresses it i don't have that gift i had to go in another direction and look There's things that I could only learn there and I never would want to live without Joanna and Mike and Josh and Hannah and the seven grandkids I have in this world and the five that have gone to heaven. There's something in that for me and for you and for it makes me a better pastor and a better man and Uh, I would not, I didn't have the gift, wouldn't want to live like that. I know guys that are my age that are single, never got married, they're functioning, they're serving the Lord, Uh, they're not in sexual sin, they're just, you know, it's it's something that God grants for his purposes, but that's the exception and not the rule. Now, on the heels of that, it says, it says, then were there brought to him little children. So somebody's getting married, that's good. Then were there brought to him little children, probably moms, and he that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. Interesting, Mark's rendition of this says this. Um, it says, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw that, he was much displeased and said, suffer the little children to come to him. Much displeased, the, 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 he, the Greek says he had indignation. The only time in his entire ministry he has indignation towards his disciples, he had it towards the Pharisees. The only time that word is used in regards to the disciples is when they tried to stop the little kids from coming to him. He got hot. You know, look, he's in charge of that process. He understands conception. He went through it. He nursed. He understands the process. And in eternity, he was probably one of the positive things about becoming human was I can't wait to get down there and hold some of those those little little guys and little gals on my lap and pray for them and look into their face because kids, you know, kids. What do you guys think of kids? I love kids. And there's no, usually there's no guile with kids. You have to tell your kids what not to do if company's coming, what not to say, because they say anything. Sometimes if I go over somebody's house and the kids, I'll say, what did your parents tell you not to say or do <laughs> if we came And they look around, you know, just. <laughs> Jesus is angry with them because they, they tried to stop. Look, the, the moms or the parents were completely comfortable. Evidently, the kids were comfortable. They would go right on his lap. There was nothing intimidating about him. This is Jehovah, Almighty God, the Lord of hosts, you know, the creator of the universe, and the kids are not afraid of him. He came that way on purpose. The moms are not afraid, you know. It's the disciples, and they're being childish. They're not being childlike. He's too important. Get get your kids away from here. And all of a sudden, they look over, and he's smoking, you know. He has indignation. Very interesting. And he says, let those kids come to me. Jesus said, suffer the little children. Forbid them not to come unto me. Here's the reason. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. I, lo- I love that. It's one of the reasons I look forward to heaven, because there's going to be a bunch of God's kids there. I mean, like, I have a, I have a great time, you know, when, the, when we have the chance and the grandkids are all over. It's a circus. It's just a circus. It's unbelievable just to watch it. I could just sit there and watch it, you know, uh, that's the way the kingdom's going to be. For of such is the kingdom of God. There's going to be a child likeness about everybody. Nobody's stabbing you back. Nobody's scheming on you. Nobody, it's God's kids. This, these are the very, the very nature of those who will be the very citizens of his kingdom, his children. For of such is the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? I can't wait. Now you got to kind of watch yourself. You got to watch who you say something to. You got to watch who gets behind your back. You got to watch this. You got to, you know, just imagine what this is going to be like for such as the kingdom of heaven. He laid his hands on them, and then they departed from him. Rich young ruler. uh, uh, We'll get through some of it. Behold, then one came to him, who was not childlike at all, by the way, and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, it's interesting because Dr. Luke tells us he was a ruler. Mark says he came and fell on his knees Matthew tells us twice here he was a young man. So the the Gospels, when we garner the picture, he's the rich, young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do? Matthew says that I might have eternal life. Uh, I believe both Luke and Mark say that I might inherit eternal life. So there's nothing childlike about that. Because even a kid knows you don't do anything to get an inheritance. Somebody else dies so you can get an inheritance. He's saying, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? An inheritance is something you get because somebody else died. You don't do anything. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It comes to you because of the death of someone else. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Now, by the way, I look at this, and I think it's important to realize, young men, old men, young men in particular, your whole life in front of you, doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter you're a ruler, he has power, he has position, he has possession, he has everything that people in this world think if they have, they're going to be satisfied, and they're not. It doesn't matter if you own Twitter, and it doesn't matter if you own Facebook. It doesn't matter if you own Tesla. It doesn't matter. Sadly, those are human beings, and without Jesus Christ, they're going to be lost, and all of their power and all of their money and all of their position will leave them empty in their hearts, and we should be praying for this lost world. Yeah, And I have to be careful, because sometimes it gets under my skin. Right there, kind of. It gets under my skin. But the truth is, here's a rich young ruler, and he comes and he falls down in front of Jesus. And he's saying, look, I got money. I got position. I got everything going for me. Everything this world told me if I had. I don't have eternal life, and I know it. What do I need to do? What's the deal? And everybody you see and you might envy and you think they have everything, they got nothing. They got nothing. Even in inheritance, if everything you leave to your kid, a lawyer has to settle, you haven't left them anything at all. And Isn't it sad sometimes? I look at the world, I watch the news, I see the way it's running, I see what's going on, and I'm thinking, here, all these people... And they're grasping and pulling, you know. And then you get four million. Then you're not happy unless you have five. You get four billion. You're not happy unless you get five billion. You have 20 billion. You're not happy unless you have 30 billion. You know, power and money and 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 the human desire is insatiable. Get more, get more, get more. Never satisfy. Okay, I got position. Okay, I got money. Okay, now I need power. I want influence. Uh, obviously, I'm smarter than all the peons. That's why I'm at the top of the pile. So now I need to make friends with a bunch of people that are at the top of the pile with me because the poor sheep don't know how they should live and we need to make decisions for them. That person's going to be so empty. It's unbelievable. This is all wrapping down. It's winding down. It's winding down. And when the church is gone, the Antichrist and war and famine, you know what's going to overcome this planet. We are close to that. All of that is birth pangs to give birth to the kingdom of the Lord. He's talking about here. But how often today in the world we live in does a rich young ruler or a rich young woman find themselves... When they're alone, and they can be honest, saying, God, if you're there, what is this all about? I got it all, and I got nothing. And this young ruler was at least willing to come and kneel down, evidently in front of other people, and put his, at least his rulership in jeopardy. He knelt down and said, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, You know, why are you calling me good? He called him Good Master. There is none good but one. That's God. The point is either I'm God or I'm no good. Make up your mind. But if you will enter into life, the idea is eternal life, keep the commandments. If only God is good, And God gave commandments, then just keep his commandments perfectly, because it's not just law, it's the law of God, and God keeps his own law. So why don't you try this? Try keeping God's law, as good as God keeps his law. If only he's good, give a shot at it. And he said unto him, which... Which one, Lord? You know this guy's working the system. He uh, keep, keep the law of God. Which commandments? He says. And he said unto him, Jesus says, "Thou shalt do no murder. That's, Thou shalt not kill." In the commandments, in Exodus twenty, literally, "Thou shalt do no murder." It's it's, it's well, that's a different thing. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou sh- um, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now what the Lord just did with this guy is he gave him the second table of the law that's all relative to your relationship with your fellow man. And he's going to say, Master, all these have I kept from my youth up. That's probably from 13 years old when he was bar mitzvahed and committed his you know, the, the 13 years old, the Jewish young man says, uh, "God, I'm no longer accountable to my father. I'm accountable to you now." And the father says, "God Almighty, this was my son. He's no longer accountable to me. He's accountable to you." It's part of the Bar Mitzvah. Um, probably talking about that from 13 on up, from my youth on up. I've kept all of these commandments. Paul said he thought that about himself in Romans 7. He said, I've kept all of these. From my youth up. What lack I yet? Now, Mark twenty-one tells us that Jesus looked at him <clears throat> and loved him. Mark says, and Peter took note of that, because Peter would make so many mistakes in life, and he knew that the Lord loved him. And when we sat with Mark, he said, He said, Man, you should have seen the way the Lord looked at him. This young guy on his knees there in front of him said, all of these have I kept from my youth up. And he, he must have said in the master's eyes were filled with love. Jesus looked. at Let me read it to you. Anyway, Mark said it and Joe didn't say it. Uh, it says, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Isn't that amazing? He said one thing thou lackest. We'll come back to that out here. Beholding is more than to just look. You know, when you behold something, you take it into consideration. Jesus beholding him, no doubt he saw more than all the disciples saw as he looked at him he beholding him loved him and then Jesus said unto him so it's it's not with a caustic voice if you want to be perfect and it's not perfect in the sense of performance it's perfect in the sense of maturity or being complete he no doubt he felt his incompleteness and look it's hard for religious people to understand you know religious people it's hard for them to realize they got nothing no hand to play It's easy for murderers and rapists and drug addiction, drug addicts and drunks and sinners. They know they got nothing to bring. And, and, you know, receiving God's grace is the only way. Religious people, and you know them, they struggle with God's grace. He says, hey, I've done all that from my youth up. And Jesus looks at them and he loves them. He says to them, well, if you want to be complete, if you want this, then he's going to say, go and come here. Go and do something, then come. Go and sell that thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. What he does to him here is he takes him to the first law, the first table. Second table of the law, the last six commandments were all about man's relationship with his fellow man. First four commandments were man's relationship with God. I'm the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Before me is not chronological or in order. It's before me in my presence. You're should have. you not going to have any other God before me in my field of view, in my presence. So he, now he gets to the first table of the law. He says, all right, one thing. Let's do this now. Go sell everything that you have. Give the money to the poor. Then come and follow me. Now, that's incidental. It's not universal. He wouldn't say that to every one of us. The problem with this guy is his money was his God. Jesus got him right where he wants him now. He said, Really? You know, if you're going to love your neighbors yourself, are you going to do this? You're going to enter like a child? Are you going to do it? He loves them. Filled with compassion, he says, if you want to be complete, you want this all to come together, go, sell that you have, give to the poor, then thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and then come, he says, and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions, or you could say great possessions had him. That was the problem. He was a prisoner of his own wealth. And Jesus wanted to emancipate him and set him free from that, his God. It says this young man went away sorrowful. Is that the last chapter? Does he ever come back? They're heading up to Jerusalem. Does he hear about the crucifixion and the resurrection? Does he encounter Christ or the disciples again? Is he part of the early church? We don't know. That's not the point. Matthew wants to say, you know, this guy had to set his God aside to have eternal life, to follow the master. And we got four minutes. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now look, that blew their minds because the theology they had been taught from the Old Testament is if you worship God, if you keep his commandments, you keep his ordinances, then your flocks will reproduce Your vineyards will be fruitful. God will bless you. So for the Jew, wrongly, they etched that into stone and thought, okay, if I'm prospering, God's blessings on my life. And if I'm struggling, there's something wrong. Now Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, man, it's hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Mark says, the disciples were astonished at these words, but he said to them, children, I love that, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? So the, the, the picture is, is here, it is their wealth, it's hard for that rich man, he, he's going to hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, Chuck Smith, my pastor, used to say, Money is a great tool to use against the devil. Money is a great tool to use against the Someone else used to say to me, Money is a great servant, but it is a cruel master. It's a great servant, but a cruel master. And again, I say unto you, it is easier. For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard that, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now look, um, remarkably, there are some scholars who still want to have some of their own righteousness who try to tell you that the eye of the needle was a small opening in one of the doors of Jerusalem. They would shut the doors at night and they would open this small door called the eye of the needle and they had to take everything off your camel to squeeze them through that. And what they're saying is, you know, you just have to get rid of everything then you can squeeze in. That ain't the gospel. That ain't grace. You study the word, this is the eye of a sewing needle. You know, And they understood it was impossible to get a camel through the eye of a sewing needle. That was before blenders. Now, you can do it today. It just takes a really, really long time. Just it's an impossibility. You know, he, 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 he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. Doesn't it say it's impossible? than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, he's going to address it. His disciples heard it. They're exceedingly amazed. And they say, who then can be saved? And I love this. Jesus beheld them. He looks at them and he says, you know, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He doesn't say two men. This is impossible, but to God all things are possible. He doesn't say for men. This is impossible, but for God all things are possible. He says with men on the human level, human ingenuity. This is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Through the blood of Jesus, I'm with God, and he's with me. Obviously, I'm more with him than he is with me, but, I mean, in, in the sense of ownership, uh, he owns me. But with him, all things are possible. With him, hopefully, I finish out my marriage, which I have would never have done without him because I'm way too selfish. With him, hopefully, and I joke with Kath, you know, Hopefully, we'll sit when we're ninety years old on rocking chairs next to each other and say, "We did it." And she'll say, "Who are we? Who are you?" You know. But I mean, you know, you, you have somebody heard me do that in a sermon, actually gave me a rocking chair. It's really a beautiful rocking chair, but you know, with God, I don't have to run to Him and, and kneel down and say, "What do I need to do to inherit eternal life?" I know I'm with him with him I'm getting into the kingdom which is impossible with men it would never have happened with God I'm able to stand here and teach the Bible that could never happen without God ever somebody asked me last weekend about my education I said 12th grade and barely made it out he said, "No, no, I mean seminary." I said, "So do I." <laughs> you know, it's only with God because you can have all the credentials, and if you try to do it without Him, you're just gonna, you're just going to bore us to death anyway. You know, isn't it amazing? With God, all things are possible. And look, we can forget that as we look at the world around us. All things are way more on the other side than they are here. We are talking about it stepping on Monday. You know, just the death is part of our journey. Uh, again, I think it was Vance Havner I heard preach a sermon that uh, Ephesians 4 that we need to walk. We need to walk worthy of the vocation that we're called to. And he said, part of your vocation is stepping into eternity. That's like a like a major part. Part of your vocation is breathing your last breath and moving on to your destiny, to glory, where, where you're, where you're going to spend eternity, you know. And sometimes I think we, we get so caught up in this world and think that we're rich or we're young or we're old and we're rich or whatever, that, that there's going to be fulfillment, and there's not, and there's not. And we ain't ever going to get into the kingdom by keeping the law. That's like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. But with God, the most unlikely people are getting in me. With God, a lot of millionaires going to be in heaven because they, they, they don't worship their money. They understand it's a tool. With God, you know, David Berkowitz just wrote me a letter a little while ago. You think of, you know, Son of Sam, everything he went through and just and he loves the Lord and he saved and. He's repentant, and he knows that Jesus loves him. But he has, you know, he, he has that um, that thing will, that will hang over his head until the trumpet blows, you know. But with God, it's all possible. With God, it's all possible. Amen. Amen. We're here. Are we going to heaven? Yes. You going without him? Anybody going without him? I'd love to talk to you. Yes. <laughs> Anybody deserve the go? He's invited you because, you you know, we got all the credentials. Anybody? Okay. Uh, anybody going by grace? Okay. With God, right? All things are possible. That's why we're... God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, that's why we're getting in. God's riches at Christ's expense. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Read ahead. In, in, in faith... Read ahead because we might not be here next Wednesday, and the world is changing in ways that we can hardly imagine. But, uh, you know, Sunday, you we pray, we'll be here talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, war. If it hasn't started by Sunday, we'll be here talking about it. You know, uh, and read ahead into chapter 20 as we're uh, looking at Matthew. Hopefully, we'll be able to gather again and have freedom to do that but tonight let's bow our hearts let's talk to our savior and then as we sing the last song let's lift our hearts to him and know that soon we're going to be standing around his throne with men and with angels and worshiping and this is just a warm-up we're just practicing lord i know you've overheard lord it isn't enough for us anymore just to Lord, just to go to a good Bible study or a bad Bible study. Lord, we, we, we want to get in front of your word and let it examine us. Lord, we, we want to live in your word relative to the days that we are finding ourselves in. Uh, we want to be better husbands, better wives, better parents, better grandparents. We want to be better Christian men and better Christian women. We want lordship to solve so many of the problems that our selfishness produces. And we ask this, the resource, even that, Lord, is on your end. Even that, Lord. We have no resource, but Father, we are so blessed to cast ourselves upon you, Lord. We are so blessed, Lord, that underneath are the everlasting arms that you're our shield and our buckler and our rear guard, that your name is like ointment poured forth, that you're our Savior and our Lord and our healer, that you're our future our destiny. Lord, fill us with your Spirit in these days. Let whatever good takes place in the time we have left be to your praise and your glory. Let it simply be because you worked in us and through us, Lord. We're open. We, we, we don't want to be in the way. We want you to have us in greater measures than you have. And as we ask, we believe we're praying according to your will, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.